So congregation this morning as we consider the fruit of the Spirit, I'm focusing on the last aspect that is mentioned in self-control, which probably makes you wonder, why don't you start at the beginning? Why don't you start with love? Well, even that choice I've made has its reasons. Uh, what I mean is this, love is the, is the, the uh, ultimate fruit, if you like, out of which all these others flow. But if we are to love selflessly and show kindness and compassion, we need to be self-controlled. That's my rationale. If you don't like it, it's okay. Now, you've all seen uh, tennis matches where, you know, a famous player uh, loses a critical point or loses the match, and in anger he slams that racket, which probably costs a fair bit, uh, frustration. And when I see it, I think to myself, look, you're behaving like a two-year-old child throwing a temper tantrum. No self-control. And it happens to all of us in traffic. Sometimes we might make a little mistake, cut in on somebody we shouldn't, and, and they abuse you. They call you names. Well, that's one thing. Sometimes it's much worse than that. You know, there's a problem with self-control. And in one way or another, I dare say, we all have that problem. You've had a difficult day at work where nothing went right on that day, and you go home, and what do you do? You're angry, you're critical of the people you love most. True? Uh, I'm not asking to incriminate yourself. But I think you can relate to this. And the problem is you and me. There is a war within us. And Paul refers to that in Romans 7, uh, which is paraphrased by uh, Eugene Peterson in the message this way. And describes it so well, so I'll read it for you. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious not all of me joins in that delight. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. So in other words, we're always facing that battle in which we will not be 100% successful. And as I've prepared this, I was amazed how often Scripture refers to self-control. And particularly Proverbs is a great one. We read one earlier, uh, Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And another one, I, I've just chosen to, uh, chapter 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. In other words, you're then totally vulnerable. 
to all kinds of temptations. Now these verses, and particularly the, the first one, they were drummed into us and into me uh, by parents. We had to, to memorize this, and there's nothing wrong with memorizing Scripture. But the constant reminder was you cannot simply live the way you want to. So we, we were always taught, think before you speak. If you start a job, finish it, even if you don't like it. And don't leave your stuff lying around, clean up your room. And on Saturday night, polish your shoes before you go to church tomorrow morning. Who does that today? Not many. But you know, it worked. It worked with me. I still clean my shoes. You may say, well, that, that, isn't that a bit overdone? Self-control. That's what we need. It is the lifestyle of those who are indwelt by the Spirit of God. It is the fruit produced in us by the Spirit when we are rooted in the true vine. And that is Jesus who said, you cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. So this is for Christian people. But it's also a call to anyone else to consider the claims of God. But like everything else, we have to be reminded of the context. Galatians, that letter of some six chapters, has one basic theme, which is, you cannot save yourself. Paul posed the question, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, or by believing what you heard? And you all know the answer, it's by believing what we hear. That's how we receive the Holy Spirit. And what did we hear and believe? What have you heard and believed? This. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And that's the freedom in which Paul lived when he says in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And that is the environment, the environment of being loved by God and living in union with Christ where the fruit of the Spirit flourishes. So I say again, self-control is part of our sanctification that must shape our Christian character. It's always imperfect, we know that, because Galatians 5.17, which we read earlier, says the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit against the flesh, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the thing you want to do. See, that's the thing. Why do we do wrong when our mind tells us we shouldn't? 
That's the, the battle. And it's a battle because sin is often very attractive, at least in the short term. But sin, James reminds us in chapter 114, leads us down the slippery slope. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when, it's, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You get it? The slippery slope? Enticed. There's something very desirable there. You get the opportunity. And you give in. Unless you have self-control. Now, some of you may say, fair enough, this is good advice for young people who are easily led astray. They're self-indulgent, full of energy. They come to terms with the world in which they live. It's okay for them, but mature people? Aren't they beyond all this? Apparently not. Because uh, uh, Paul in his letter to Titus says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So there you have it. No one is beyond this. What about older women? Again, Scripture says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. There you go. So no one here this morning can say, don't talk to me about self-control. I have plenty of common sense. I know exactly where the limits are. I will decide for myself uh, what happens in the face of temptation. I would say, don't be so sure of yourself. Don't be so sure of your own strength and ability to resist. And I'm thinking here of what, what was written uh, by Solomon in Ecclesiastes. When he refers to this careless lifestyle that is easily led astray, he says, whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep from them. So I lived it up. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And he sought freedom and pleasure and achievement and wealth and power and all the rest of it. And when he looked back later in his life, he said, all was vanity and a striving after wind. He gave in to all the good things of life, the temptations, the joy, the... Um, uh, the wealth and the pleasure, and he says it was like a puff of wind. It represents nothing. Living carelessly, without reference or dependence on God in your life, is foolish and it is careless. That's why we need self-control. Thinking clearly and behaving rightly. So we don't get caught up in the idolatry of pleasure and success and security and material things and a good name and status and all the rest of it. We are to find 
satisfaction in God and in his grace. Anything less is idolatry. So, how can we live with self-control, in step with the Spirit? Now, if you think I'm going to give you three or four easy steps to achieve it, forget about it. There's no easy way. But I can give you some, some guidelines from the Scriptures. First of all, be humble enough to bow under the authority of Jesus who gives true freedom. John 8.32 If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free. Free to love God. Free to love others. You all know that illustration of, about freedom, about a fish who is confined to water. And one day the fish says to him or herself, uh, I find it very restrictive, this water. I want to experience the, the wider world. And so he jumps out of the aquarium and you all know what happens. The fish was designed to live in water in the same way that we are designed for love and loving relationships. That is where we get our real freedom. As the hymn expresses it, make me a captive Lord and then I shall be free. Which sounds like a total contradiction. But it isn't. Freedom from self in order to live in love for God and others. And that's why the Bible constantly urges us, listen to the word, guard your heart, flee from evil, use sound judgment, do what God desires, and on and on it goes, submit to Christ in every dimension of life, because he is Lord in every sphere of life, and we owe ultimate allegiance. Then secondly, be prepared. Matthew 5.29 If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. This is not meant literally. But it simply means take distance from any source of temptation. Be prepared to resist it in all its forms. And that could be, let me just mention, the temptation of the body. And again, in uh, Proverbs you find many references. Temptation to being lazy. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Have you ever heard that one? It's quite a funny one because you imagine the person, you know, being hinged. But all he can do is this or that. The hinge will not allow him to get up. Laziness. Self-control and eating and drinking. Scripture says, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. But Proverbs reserves its most dire warnings against sexual sins. 
I'll give you two examples from Scripture. And you will know the stories, and I won't expand on it. But Joseph in Potiphar's house in Egypt, the lady of the house pesters him repeatedly, come lie with me. And in the end, uh, Joseph didn't want a bar of it. He lost his coat, and he ended up in prison for years. But he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So girls and boys, what did he say? No. Right? Yes. But then think of the other example. The man after God's own heart, King David. He sends out his commanders to fight the enemy, but for whatever reason, he stayed at home. And in the afternoon, he walks on the roof of his palace, and he saw a woman bathing, and she was very beautiful. Stop. I'm not going to say any more than that. Because that's exactly what David should have stopped. But he didn't. It was an attractive opportunity, and we all know the devastating consequences. The warnings of the prophet, the death of the child, the dysfunction in the family as time went on. Self-control. Also, our emotional life needs to be controlled. Anger, jealousy, unforgiving, slander, dirty language, wandering thought, dominating others. I mean, Scripture warns us constantly against all these things. Walk by the Spirit. And what about our thinking? Scripture says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. And I won't even go into self-control when it comes to the use of gadgets and, and computers and TVs and all the rest of it, which are such a temptation. Um, when, we, when I was in, in Timor, we had one session with some high schools and we had a session on the use of, of, of Facebook, the media, uh, computer games and the whole rest. Not that I know a lot about it, but some of my colleagues did. But we had a session and they call it Ministry or Monster. So, do you use all your gadgets and stuff for ministry purposes or is it simply a monster that gobbles up your life and wastes a lot of your time? Okay. Then my third observation is, and I've already referred to it repeatedly, learn to say no. Give in to temptation a few times, and it becomes a habit. Then the habit shapes your character and reaps a terrible harvest. Can we resist? Do you have enough willpower? Probably not. So however hard we try, we need an extra dimension. And Paul refers to that in Titus 2, 11, 12, when he says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us 
to renounce godliness. Other translations say, uh, training us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. So while self-control is a work of the Spirit, we are actively involved. Hence the call of the New Testament to grow, to change, to put off the old way, to put on a godlike character. And Paul, uh, with an illustration, uh, emphasizes the effort of self-control with the imagery of an athlete. I mean, in an athletic context, everybody wants to win. But only one will win, and you can be sure it's the one who is trained and exercised uh, long and hard. Paul says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive an earthly or perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And he says, I discipline my body and keep it under control. If you want the greatest example of self-control, look no further than the Savior himself alone in the garden. What does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. And when soldiers came with their clubs and spears and swords, Jesus said, I could call down legions of angels from heaven to save me from all this. But he didn't. And on the cross, he was mocked. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. You can do it. But he didn't. And you know why? You know what held him there? It was love. The self-control of love to set us free to love and to obey. I'm nearly done. But what I want to avoid is this. I don't want you to understand as though burdens are placed on you. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and this week I'll work on self-control, the week after that I'll work on compassion and kindness and goodness and all the rest of it. No, no, no. This is not a burden. It's a call simply to follow Jesus. It's a call to all of us, to Christians, but also to all who are not to consider the claims of Christ and submit to his gracious will. So l let me conclude with a verse of a hymn. Uh, the hymn is, um, there's a green hill far away. Lord Jesus, Dearly you have loved, and we must love you too. And trust in your redeeming blood, and learn to follow you. If we live in step with the Spirit,
It means our minds exposed to the Word, accompanied by prayer that the Holy Spirit would give us grace to exercise self-control. Sin will steadily lose its grip on us, and the fruit of the Spirit will grow in your life in all its beauty. And wouldn't you want that? I would. Let's pray. Almighty and loving God, we thank you for the gift of your word, the gospel of our risen Savior and Master. And we now pray for the grace to follow him by putting to death the deeds of the flesh and to live holy, self-controlled lives that honor you above all. We ask that what we do, how we live, and the way we love may increasingly become a, um, a worthy response to the work of your grace. Lord, in all humility, we acknowledge that we are who we are only by your grace. And we pray that that grace will accompany us on the ongoing journey toward holiness. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.